hey everyone, welcome to the Eagleburg Church Leadership Podcast. Don, by the time we release this podcast, we are going to be past Valentine's Day mm. and it's into March. And I know you have some prophetic skills. How are you feeling about the return of all your bird friends? Because now winter's over. The thing is that you think winter's over. After February. After February 14th. It's over. It's over. I declare winter over on February 14th because it just can't get below zero anymore. At least that's what I believe. So, and then the snow, it keeps coming, but it's not as cold. But, but March is like bird watchers eve you know it's not like great bird watching but you have that anticipation the excitement it's about to come and i know you're looking forward to it too. oh my goodness so. i can't believe you're still talking about it we have a guest today <laughs> ted we don watches birds and so we want to know right away ted cunningham this do you watch birds good. do you watch birds i do yes i, I figured you did <laughs> oh my gosh i even said that before he walked in like <laughs> Where we had the road trip, you count the hogs <laughs> on the power line. Yes. If you drive down the road, hawks <laughs> and eagles, are the, those are my birds that I want. Okay. Yes. Just can't get enough. Okay. I had a hawk swoop in front of my car on the way here, no kidding, right coming off a lake. And oh I thought God is with us. I- <laughs> Pleading for their yes. break. Oh. oh. Wonderful. The amount of listeners we've lost already no is way. just shocking. Shocking. Oh, that was really Maybe fun. someday I will get into bird watching, but not until I'm retired <sighs> and have nothing else there. to do with my life. But anyways, today, <laughs> today we are really excited because we do have our special guest, Ted Cunningham. And we're going to uh, cover a wide variety of topics, but we are going to specifically dial in on what I consider Ted to be one of the foremost experts in, and that is healthy relationships, specifically marriages. But first, let me introduce Ted. Ted is the founding senior pastor of Woodland Hills Family Church in Branson, Missouri. He's the author of several books, including A Love That Laughs, Trophy, Child, and my personal favorite, one I recommend to all couples who are uh, pursuing marriage or in a marriage, Fun Loving You. He's also a comedian on the Date Night Comedy Tour and a frequent guest speaker at churches and events across the country. And Ted, most importantly, in all that bio, is a guest speaker at Eagle Park Church mm-hmm. because we love him and he's always going to bring a message that's full of godly wisdom, biblical truth, and of course, Laughter, Ted. After that, is your head going to fit through the door, or can I stop with that bio now? Well, three of them. <laughs> okay. Oh boy. <laughs> uh, anyways, Ted, we are really excited to have you on this podcast and here at our church. So let's start with this: How and why did you become passionate about helping marriages thrive? So I started in ministry over 25 years ago, and I worked as an associate pastor for a single senior pastor, and. Anytime marriage came up uh, in the series or on the church calendar, uh, he would look at me and go, Ted, you're you're on deck. And he would put me in to do the marriage talk because I had been married when I started working for him about three months. So I was the expert uh, on staff for marriages, mainly because I was the only one married. It was just the senior <laughs> me at a small church. Mm. And so uh, the more I studied and the more I prepared uh, obviously I was preparing to teach and to lead others in marriage, but boy, I, I gained so much for my own marriage and that was great for me. And then I moved to Branson, Missouri over 20 years ago and the way God brought everything together, Dr. Gary Smalley, uh, became my mentor and he was coming into the, you know, sunset years of his ministry. And he invited me to write with him and to speak with him. 
And, and you know, you would tell people, I brought Ted here to speak with me at this conference, uh, not for his content, because I get tired of him. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I would be the Yeah. And so when I think about all the mentors I could have had in ministry, I'm grateful it was Gary. And yes, for what God did to birth marriage ministry in me, but also for my own marriage. Yeah, that's great. Okay, we're going to jump right into it a little bit. We're, we're looking for how you help marriages in a time of need. So maybe even one way to frame this up is if you were to talk about a story or a time that you came alongside a marriage that was really kind of in the ditch. And what did you say to a couple? How do you help a couple that's going through a difficult time? Yeah, when we started our church over 20 years ago, you know, church was small and we would have couples over to our home and... Uh, we found that community, leaning into biblical community was key for couples. Uh, we tend to isolate when we have problems. We move away from the voices that are going to be healthy and helpful. Mm -hmm. And so now we say at our church in Branson, a country music town, every marriage is a duet in need of great backup singers. <laughs> so my wife and I have surrounded our marriage with great backup singers, but we also know how important it is for us to be good backup singers to the duets around us. And yes, I tend to get the duets that are in crisis mm -hmm. uh, or at the end. A lot of people will meet with me so they can tell family and friends we've tried everything. Yeah, we, we, we did, did it, it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and so I always start with a couple asking them, before I say one word, what are your goals for our time together? Mm -hmm. And I don't think they're ready for that answer. They're not, or that question, because yeah. uh, they often don't have an answer. They're just like, uh, well, you know, and I'm like, are we here to reconcile? Are we... Mm -hmm here to think through how to end the marriage. I mean, I really want their their goals, and then then I share with them mine. And my desire, obviously, is to help couples not just reconcile in a marriage, but to have a thriving marriage, to enjoy life together. I don't view success as a couple staying together. I view success as a couple staying together and experiencing marital satisfaction like they've never experienced it before. That's good. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. So you... you started going after this a little bit and you just finished with saying, you know, you want marriages to thrive and experience the fullness that God has for them. What is God's design for marriage? Yeah, I always go to Matthew when Jesus was asked about it and he lays it out in a couple of quick sentences, but it is clear and it is packed full of God's heart, his plan and design for marriage. And uh, when Jesus was asked him, you know, um, can someone divorce for any and every reason? Jesus doesn't even answer the question right away. He goes into, haven't you read? So he starts with scripture. And he takes them back to Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis 2. And he says that at the beginning, so we know that God's plan and design for marriage was laid at the foundations of the earth. He said the creator, I love that part because he doesn't need my help with this plan or design or yeah. defining it. Uh, the creator made them male and female. Uh, that's Genesis chapter 1. And then he gets into Genesis 2 where he says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. So it requires separation from your immediate family in order to start a new family. Uh, and the two become one. I love that two becoming one because that's the biblical definition of compatibility. And uh, we're actually talking about it this weekend a little bit at Eagle Brook, that uh, compatibility is not easy and automatic but it's something that takes place over a lifetime because the seasons and stages of life change us. I'm a different person 26, 27 years into marriage than I was when we married, and I'm different than I was when we had kids, and as we're now becoming empty nesters, I'm going to be someone new. 
Um, I have a branded ministry that says you will be married to five to seven different people over the course of your marriage. Mm-hmm. And so to becoming one isn't something that happened when we got married and stayed there. It's like we are continually growing together uh, in our love and care for one another. Mm-hmm. Say, wow, Jesus just takes Genesis 1 and 2 mm-hmm. and packs it in there and makes it as clear as can be for us. Mm-hmm. It's his heart being designed for marriage. Mm-hmm. That's so good. Mm-hmm. And, and again, going back to we're kind of, going back and forth between thriving marriages and ones that are struggling, if statistics are right, I mean, maybe half are struggling right now, probably even more than that, uh, are struggling right now listening to this podcast in their marriage or their relationship. And if someone is listening and the D word is on the table, divorce, just to be clear, um, what would you say to them? Most couples I work with drift toward divorce. Mm. They don't end up there. Mm. And I think sometimes it's it's one of the myths we need to debunk that um, it's a big thing that happens that leads us to divorce. No, it's small things left unchecked, mm. small decisions that we stop making all along the way that, that bring us to a place and where we say that this is it, this is over, we've tried everything. I hear that a lot from couples. We've tried everything, and I, I'm telling you, uh, most couples that meet with have not tried everything. Ah. They've, they've, as soon as they started to drift, they backed away from biblical community or good backup singers. They drifted toward voices that they should have muted, mm-hmm. but maybe turned up in their light. Um, they start blaming each other. Their hearts are closed. They start doubting and they start exploring other options. Uh, and, and I just encourage them if they're at the place where they've drifted to the point where they, they're past the point of no return. Um, this is, put the brakes on everything, prioritize this. I'm a big believer in marriage intensive programs mm-hmm. where a couple goes away for uh, a week. We just see the research on that. I mean, it, it, if you can sit down with a therapist for a week and work through issues, I mean, the, the success rate with the marriage intensive program, I recommend people to at over 80%. Say, say which one that is, so. That's uh, Hope Restored with Books on the Family. Mm-hmm. It was a marriage intensive with um, the National Institute of Marriage. And it's the one Gary started. Mm-hmm. It's probably started over 25 uh, years ago. But they're over 80% success. And again, success is not to bind us couples staying together. It's to bind us couples staying together and and reporting a marriage that they never dreamed was even. Mm-hmm. And so to me, I always share with any couple when they say, we're at the point of divorce, our marriage is dead. Uh, and again, I'm not talking about domestic violence or abuse. I'm talking about a couple that just drifted toward divorce. They grew apart. They have nothing in common anymore. They don't enjoy being together. That couple, I want them to know, Ecclesiastes 9.4, anyone who is among the living has hope. And I think one of the best things a backup singer can do, and anybody can be a backup singer, is to remind couples of hope. Mm. Your marriage can be dead, but Jesus still breathes life and a dead, lifeless marriage. Mm. It's great. You know, there's been a few times that my wife and I have had the chance to talk about marriage. I know you and Emily have done the same. It always seems like the week before you have that talk, you have tension and arguments before you're going to teach others about marriage. What have you done to keep your marriage healthy and vital as someone who communicates on this topic regularly through all your years of ministry? Yeah, so to me... To avoid drift, it requires priority. Mm-hmm. So the things that were natural early on were intentional with later on. And so for us, it's the daily delay. We've always made time for each other, even if it's 10, 15, 20 minutes a day 
eyeball to eyeball, body to body, distraction free, kid free, tech free. Uh, we've always kept the date night, uh, keep the date night wholly set apart. Mm-hmm. Don't let anything get the way of it. And then uh, we take an annual abandon every year, get it on the calendar early, like six, eight months out. Mm-hmm. So we can look forward to it, talk about it. And, and there's several ways that you enjoy it. You enjoy leading up to it. You enjoy it while you're on it. You're talking about it long after it's passed. So mm-hmm. we've always prioritized our marriage in the home with our kids and in ministry. Uh, our church knows this is of high value to us. And you want us to come here each day and serve. And you want us to, to teach from a place of fullness, not drained and and. Marriage is part of that. Mm-hmm. I always encourage church leaders um, to don't neglect this. Don't don't give your spouse the leftovers. The church the best. Um, and I know it can be tricky when you talk about prioritizing church, prioritizing the whole home, and it can become cliche or pithy little statements we throw back and forth. Mm-hmm. But but truly, true. Even at busy seasons of ministry, you know, let your spouse know they're the they're the priority. Mm-hmm. Good. When you talk about date night, do you? Think about Costco and Fleet Farm on a Friday night because that doesn't. Oh. <laughs> okay. Chipotle can be. Oh, that counts. Yeah. Okay. But uh, I, I always say you could do errands on date night, uh-huh. but I think sometimes that can that can suck the life out of a date night pretty quick. Mm. You're just getting caught up for the week. No, you're misunderstanding. You can eat dinner at Costco. Oh, eat. Well, that too. That's Pizza, dollar ninety nine. Well, actually, <laughs> if they're samples, though, you don't yeah, need them. Right. <laughs> I I say I tell couples it doesn't have to cost a lot. Yeah, have to be gone a long time. Yeah, but just say this is on the calendar. Whatever it is, what's what's scheduled is is an easy priority to keep track of. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, one of the things I've loved that you've said in the past that we've tried to implement in our home. We've got kids who are eleven and seven. Is that you want to celebrate? the sanctity of marriage. You know, you want to celebrate marriage in front of your kids and talk about how much you love, not not pretend like there isn't struggles. But I do think at times we hear mixed messages of marriage is so hard and it's such a battle and oh my goodness, are you sure you want to get, we often lead out. And I don't know why, but it, often in the Christian world, it's, mm-hmm. it's led out that way. Mm-hmm. And we've really, based on some messages you've given in the past, we've tried to talk about how awesome marriage is. We've got a daughter who's seven. She's already dreaming about being a bride. And so we talk about it like you should be dreaming about it. It's awesome. And I hope you find that person who is going to do this, that, and the other. You know, So we, mm-hmm. we do really try to celebrate marriage because marriage... Despite struggles, despite the date nights that happen at Fleet Farm. Nothing wrong with it. It's still really great. <laughs> I have a passage that says, this message is, no matter what he was talking about when it came to marriage, the tone was always the same. Marriage is war and we're all going to die. And we've been And he goes, I create my own content for marriage, Ted. But he goes, it's the tone. I realized it didn't matter what marriage topic I was on. My tone was marriage is war for die. Oh, great. That's mm. something to look forward to. Yeah. Um, right. Hey, shifting gears a little bit, laughter, you're one of the funniest human beings, speakers that I know. And laughter is clearly so important to you, your ministry, your communication style, and even relationships. Why is that? Well, I, I, was, I was thinking about this all the way here, and I need to share this with Eaglebrook because I was at, doing a comedy show in Portland, Oregon last July with another comedian born and raised in Los Angeles. 
And I asked him, I said, where's your favorite place in the country to do comedy? With no hesitation, he said, Minneapolis. Whoa. I said, what? <laughs> Bird of the shock. <laughs> Come on. But that was not where you were expecting. No, I wasn't, no. And I said, and he saw it all over me. No, no, seriously, Ted. He goes, when you go to clubs in New York or L.A., there is an arms folded, prove it to me, make me laugh mm -hmm. attitude and vibe coming from the crowd. He says, when you step on stage in Minnesota, you get a thank you for being here, warm vibe, and they're laughing with you from the get-go. Mm -hmm. And I thought about that. I'm going, man, I'm in the frozen tundra of Minnesota, right. and you were known for your warm and hospitality. We are. Pretty big deal. We are the best. That's awesome. I love that. <laughs> Laughter to me opens people up for truth. And I love I love after an event. I always go to churches and you can tell the churches that are used to laughing and enjoy laughing and, and the ones that aren't because sometimes the pastor will get up and in his introduction of me, he has to give a three-minute message on why laughter is okay and why God is okay with what's about to happen here tonight. Yeah. It's always a great introduction. Yeah, disclaimer. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and then afterwards, he'll get up and be like, I hope you all noticed, but while you were laughing, you were getting truth in the side door, one pastor said, and that's a good way to look at it. I don't know, it just, it brings our defenses down. I always compare it to... If you want to teach your seven-year-old some deep spiritual truth, a whiteboard with a 30-minute devotional after dinner ain't get Okay. Yeah. But getting on the ground and playing Legos mm -hmm. with a seven-year-old mm -hmm. and, and having a minute mm -hmm. or two to share something, it's going to be absorbed. Mm -hmm. Well, adults don't play like kids do, but laughter is our play. Yes. Laughter is what lightens us up. We don't take ourselves so seriously. We're able to shake our head to say, can't believe I said that. I can't believe I did that. I mean, Dr. Chuck Swindoll, his line is still one of my favorites. Laughter is the most beautiful, beneficial therapy God ever granted humanity. Mm. And I just, I just meet with a lot of people who are wound a little too tight. They need to not take themselves so seriously, lighten up. I take God very seriously, but um, yourself, not so much. Yeah, that's great. Well, you also wrote a book called Trophy Child. And so parenting is also something that's critical to marriages and families, obviously. I mean, this is a broad question, so you can take the answer in whatever direction you want. And Don, I'm actually going to ask you too, because you're one of the parents I looked up, look up to, but any advice to parents of young kids out there? Just parents in the thick of it. I, I, yeah, any advice to parents? <laughs> I mean, the thing that my kids bring up all the time and they quote me on this, and I don't even know where I got this, and it may have been from Gear years ago, but it is core value in our church, and it's core value in our home, and it's simply this, parenting is a journey from control to influence. And as your children are growing up, when they're young, it's the most control you'll ever have. With every year of your child's life, you're losing control and hopefully replacing it with influence. And so I have young adult children and I want influence in their life. Anytime I try to take back control, I lose influence. Mm. And I, boy, I love when my kids come to me and ask me questions. My son and I, we do, uh, it's a senior year of high school. He's going off to college next year and we're doing a Bible study uh, the morning a week at a local cafe in our town. And just the deep questions we get into I just, I just have to guard my heart from the control because 
I think it's one of the biggest mistakes we make as parents is treating our children like children right up until the very moment we expect them to be an adult. And I had found myself in his senior year when he asked me a question, Dad, can I, that I have to say, you are an adult now, but you do not need to call me and ask me after school if you can. I, I need you to make these decisions. And and then he's just comparing his life to a lot of his friends' lives going, man, their, their parents are going to have a very difficult time dropping them off at college, you know, controlling their every move and their every breath. And now you drop them off and you had none of that. So, uh, let your kids begin that journey in the home. Don't wait until they leave your home. Mm -hmm. uh, guide them, direct them, let them make decisions um, as they get into those teen years, as they separate and individualize from mom and dad. Uh, celebrate that. Mm -hmm. Don't look at that as a bad thing. God designed them to move away from you at some point. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just, I, I want to be a dad at 60, 70, 80 years old, if the Lord wills, to be a parent of influence. I can't do it if I'm a controlling yeah. parent. Okay, Don, flipping this to you, you you're a parent of two uh, young men now. Yeah, we're close. Uh, my boys are 22 and 20, so we're just entering the empty nest season as well. But thankfully, when I had young kids, somebody exposed me to the book Raising a Modern Day Night. I'm yeah, not sure. sure if you're familiar with that one, but it really talks about setting different mile markers in a kid's life. And we did that. So we had a little mm -hmm. ceremony per se for our kids when they entered kindergarten and the grandparents wrote letters and we all wrote letters and read them and they had a hard time paying attention because they were just ready for dessert. But, but it was a really important moment. And then when they turned 13 again, similar thing, people wrote letters and we had a special uh, kind of evening for each of them. And then we all prayed over them. And I tell you that I was- I will never forget those times. Yeah. Man. I believe so. I mean, they were tearjerkers for all of us, like that age of 13, kind of becoming a young man. And then I offered, this is unique to our boys, but but I did offer, if you want to get your friends together, we could do a Bible study together. And they both said yes. And so we invited friends throughout the community and just kept it kind of, you know, simple about who's God, what's the Bible, all those things. And that was a parenting memory I'll never forget. And those groups both got traction throughout that year of 13 and then 18, their senior year, I wrote them a letter uh, every week. And so then I put it in a book and I was putting it in the book throughout the, the year. And then I'd meet with them and talk about the letters that I wrote to them. So I didn't hit 52, but I got in the 30s and in the 40s for each of them and then put it in a book and then hand it to them. And I bawled like a baby when I, you know, <laughs> handed them off at, at college. But but I'm so grateful I took that time to just, it was part of my therapy too, was writing out my thoughts, some of those things I wanted to leave and impart in my kids. And uh, so grateful that I was nudged by a book to be intentional. And those are some of the bigger things, even like having dinner together, playing together, setting those times like you talked about, we did that regularly throughout their childhood. I mean, that's the gold. And it doesn't always have to be mega moments either. Like, and I think some parents maybe just pull back because I don't have enough to offer in that. Sometimes it's just getting in the car after church. What did you learn? You know, and just really leveraging those smaller moments too. Yeah. Awesome. yeah. You guys are both great, great dads. You have anything to add to that? You're learning, you're in well, the thick I, of it I'm, here. I'm in the thick of it, but we're entering into a different era ourselves. You know, I've got a, a real good friend who's got a two-year-old and a six-month-old. I mean, they're in the thick of it. I mean, they can barely get out of the house, you know. So we're at an age where currently my kids are, I don't even know if this is legal. I probably shouldn't say oh this, boy. but our kids are just at home right now. I mean, they're just, <laughs> Unsupervised. Well, I mean, they're, 11, 7, they're at home yeah, for a bit. I, taking I think the car certain, out, <laughs> no, you know. <laughs> I think That's right. 
it's probably fine, right? Yeah, I think we've looked it up. But you know, that we're just at an age where they're just much more independent. Yeah. That's you know, fun. we we take them on individual little um, date nights, and um, the relationship I've really invested recently. I was really close with my eleven um, year old son. It was more natural, dad son, love of sports, and those kind of things. It's my daughter that our relationship we've really mm. uh, seen thrive recently because I've had to be really intentional about meeting her where she's at, and that wasn't natural for me. Just being a man mm. of figuring out what are her interests, what's her love language, how does she, how's she wired? Mm -hmm. And I've really spent a lot of time in the last couple of years um, deeply investing in that. And really, I'd say the key to that was figuring out the way that God has designed her and meeting her there, mm. not trying to make her something that I envisioned her being. Yeah, and really uh, and you just see that blueprint on a young child's life and that design, that unique design, and you start calling it out of them and. And so that's that's been a growing edge for me. That's a good one. And we're not, you know, officially done yet. So who knows, mm -hmm. you guys? Who knows? Wait, should we talk about that after? Well, no, I'm not announcing anything. But I mean, we're not like, I don't know. We don't know for I didn't sure. Even know. Wow! Congratulations, you guys. All right, let's move on. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Ted, you've been a senior pastor for over 25 years. You've traveled around the country. What do you see in churches when you land in them? What What's kind of the state of the union of the church? Big question. So I travel to churches all year and I usually have my kids with me. And what is fascinating are the, the conversations we have from the church on the way uh, back to the hotel or back to the airport. So my kids at uh, you know 18 and 20 have been at hundreds and hundreds of churches over their childhood. And it's interesting if it's a denominational church, an non-denominational church that we're driving at, we don't we don't have a lot of theology or doctrine conversations on the way back because uh, I'm doing a date night or a marriage conference or retreat. But what we have is what the kids felt while they were there, the hospitality, mm -hmm. the warmth, because that you pick up in 10 or 15 minutes, the we want you here, we're glad you're here uh, from the parking lot to the lobby to the stage and back to the car again um what what i'm always looking to hospitality is when you know we uh let people know you matter to god and you matter to us we pour time into this weekend or this event because you matter we want you to know you matter and I'll be honest with you some churches do real well with that and and some churches it's just not high value and and i think it's something we should all be known for it. We should be known for this generous hospitality and welcoming attitude coming in. And, and I can work through a lot, but when it's uh, when my kids are young teenagers picking up on this, leaving the church, there's a there's a city in the country and a church in the country my son has been to multiple times because I'm moving, I'm going to get a job in that city mm -hmm. just to go to that. I mean that's how mm. that's how well he's treated when he's there mm -hmm. and how much he sees everybody loving and caring for one another. And I just, I see it, I, uh, and I love watching that and knowing and, and sharing that back with you. I'll always text a leader back or the pastor back and say, hey, this is not blowing smoke. I, I want you to know your, your people were very kind, receptive, gracious, warm, friendly. And so uh, that, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm looking for when I go into a church. Mm. I can, that'll tell me a lot about what the church believes and teaches too. Right? Yeah, that's great. Just staying in that vein, and this is kind of our last official question, unless you have any other th thoughts to share, but what, what do you think the future of the church looks like? 
I mean, you've been in ministry a long time and, you know, I don't know how many more years you have left totally and how long you're going to serve as the lead pastor, the senior pastor. I know you've got a ministry for the rest of your life, but what does the future of the church look like? Yeah, I've been sharing with our church. You know, there's there's two ways I can go out from this church. I can go out like spoiled milk or with a sheet cake. <laughs> I didn't mean how this become a core man or a church, but now everybody, that's all we talk about is sheet cake because now everybody wants that. Yeah. I don't want to be this guy that goes out, you know, like, man, finally get rid of him. Yeah. And I, so it's actually, I had to say that's something I always have honored about Eagle Brook. Uh, Bob got the sheet cake, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you ask me what I'm seeing in churches. I'm seeing some go out with the sheet cake and some go out like spoiled milk. And that we all would go out, you know, passing it on to the next generation. You know, I told our church, I think I have five or 10 years left in me. I've been there 21 years in the house. And um, I want to do what I've seen where I want to I want to be able to step away, hand it off, and uh, and die at Willow Hills Family Church. I've asked the Lord to allow me to die in the pews and to be mm-hmm. there to do whatever he calls me to, but I, I don't uh, see myself as the lead pastor much past five or 10 years. And, you know, I, I have to stay off of social media because I find myself leading, preaching, teaching mad. <laughs> I spend too much time on there. Mm-hmm. So I stay off of there because if you watch social media, the church is doomed. But if you read your Bible, it, it can't be doomed. Yeah. I mean, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so no matter the difficulties we go through uh, in different seasons and stages, even in church life, uh, as my friend Alex Maya says in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, it's still God's plan A, mm-hmm. you know, and he's still working through the church mm-hmm. people into the kingdom. And so uh, I want to be a part of it with everything I got, even if my role changes, you know, in the years ahead. Yeah. We hope that for every leader listening, whether you're a volunteer, a staff member, lead pastor i mean go for the sheep gate yeah that's a good that's word good sign off well ted we do love you and appreciate you and um we're just behind you in the ministry that you have in the world and we're grateful that you come to Eaglebrook once a year and share with us because you are really a gift i know our people are blessed by you excited to have you here all, as always and and we of course stay in touch throughout the year you're a good friend of mine and just really appreciate your wisdom and what you bring to the world. So why I love you guys. Appreciate having me on. Yeah, of course. All right. Well, that's all we got for this episode of the Eagle Brook Church Leadership Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, leave us a comment. Maybe, I mean, Ted's not there, but tweet it, Instagram it. Yeah, three times. And so it's a fish, but just tweet (laughs) at him, tweet at us. Yeah. Hey, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.